with all of this COVID-19 stuff happening, surely with social distancing, your D&D game has been affected. My question to both of you is how has your D&D game been affected since the outbreak? Mine has just been pretty much canceled. Like, um, I'm in the midst of creating a, a brand new uh, campaign setting and, and campaign. So I've been in the process of world building, like, since the new year. Um, and we were planning on starting probably about two weeks ago. Um, and so we were just doing board game night on Wednesdays instead until I was, like, done world building. And right when I was, like, ready to begin and everyone kind of has their characters um, and classes selected, that's when uh, everything kind of broke loose. So we are, for the for the near future, are just having to cancel. So it's been interesting because I've kind of been allowed to world build even more. You know, I just have so much time on my hands and um, it's been really fun to be able to, you know, get into some of the, the nerdy stuff that you oftentimes don't have time for unless you're uh, in a self-quarantine. Um, and so that's been fun. One of my main worries is that my players are getting too attached to the characters that they created. And I have explicitly stated that this is a, uh, a much more lethal universe. <laughs> so we'll cross that bridge when we come to it, though. <laughs> Interesting. So for you, you're, you're not really able to play. Is what you're saying? No, I. They've asked about playing online, um, and I just I. Our, our games are so role play heavy uh -huh. um, that it's just very hard. Also, I live in Kentucky, and the internet is not as great as it is uh, in places with big urban metros nearby. So that are civilized, um, that you could say. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but it's just. Yeah, my internet's not up to snuff, and I just would miss so much of the the role play interactive. And if we were probably halfway, like, in the middle of the Dungeon of the Mad Mage, we probably would have kept playing. But I didn't want to start this brand new, you know, campaign that we'll probably be doing for the next, you know, two to three years. Yeah. I didn't want to start that and do, like, Session Zero and all the critical character building and the early stuff, like, from our homes looking at computers. I just I just didn't. Yeah. That's, uh, that'd be rough to get into. What about you guys? Well, my game, uh, which David plays in, has moved yeah. entirely online. So for the past two weeks, we've been playing. Uh, the first week was over Skype, which was a disaster. Don't use Skype. And then we switched <laughs> to Discord last week. And um, that was real, real basic. Um, I was going to fiddle around with Roll20, but it's just a lot more work than I want to do because I would have to load in. I have to recreate and load in all the maps for the dungeons. Oh, the we're stuff going you through. already have. Yeah. Yep. And so um, what I do is I screen share Adobe Illustrator, which I'm extremely proficient with. Like it's just my, oh, it's yeah. an extension of my arm right at this point. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I, um, as I explore, I just draw the map in real time on a grid in front of them. It's super easy. I move the tokens around inside the software. Um, it's, it's, there's, there's always a learning curve, I think, with technology. And, um, but this is, as far as I can tell, the best solution there is a lot yeah. that is lost playing online um mm -hmm. the first week especially there was such a uh, difference because when you're all together there's a kind of electricity in the air excitement yeah and yeah uh, there's snacks there's side it's conversations. like that around the campfire feeling yeah. it's also it's easy to have side conversations and that's not something that you can do in an online game because yeah. it's really like one conversation is happening and you're either in it or you're not. 
Yeah. yeah. And so like some people are um, like in the chat box, like, you know, having a, something like a side conversation, but it's not the same. And so it, there's definitely a big trade off in going online. It's not something that I think I would choose to do unless D&D was maybe maybe my only option. But having a lively in-person table group has been tremendously enjoyable so yeah online i heard um the designer of sim city his name is will wright he has a quote that i like where he says interacting with someone over the internet is like interacting with someone through a drinking straw you just you don't get anything close to the full experience yeah yeah it's just not as fun but i mean you can still have a lot of fun in an online game especially when you're limited to that so yeah i saw i was in your discord and i popped in for a bit that was hilarious. <laughs> yeah. uh, so, David, actually, um, what's your take? Like, how how's the vibe with that online As game? A player, I mean, it's like it's solid. Like, it's still a good game. I'm still having fun. I'm still inspired to do things in the game. And but it's just like a. Di- it's just it's harder to have as much fun. I guess like mm-hmm. there's like a cap. And you, you don't capture like everybody's vibes, so like you can't yeah. you can't keep that energy going. Yeah, your it's, friends. yeah, it's difficult to keep that higher energy rolling all the time. I guess you could say. Mm-hmm. We had one player who was just playing Minecraft. Like he was obviously <laughs> playing. He admitted it while we were playing, and <laughs> and I was like, wow, like that sucks because I can't stop him from doing that. But it's because wow. he's less engaged. I think because of that loss of this the social personal aspect yeah i think especially like even not even like i think one thing that could step it up is if everyone was on webcam that way you could see everyone oh you guys just on call so when we did skype i think a bunch of us were had our webcams up but when but when we switched to discord it was was just like voice chat only yeah so that that definitely was a big difference Mm -hmm. so yeah, anything that allows you to like have that extra level of engagement. Yeah, just more senses back in it. Can't wait for a VR chat D and D. Yeah, <laughs> looking at my like, I really am reticent to go online, but like, depending on how long this thing lasts, like, I don't know how how long I can go without D and D. Why don't you try like a different game or like yeah, super I random think or we're something? Do that. I know us. We've talked about doing um, maybe a fun little like mothership game um yeah and once we try out mothership i'd love to try that with my friends too online um you know because i feel like it fit the tone a little better you know it's almost like last transmission you know sort of sci-fi trapped in a spaceship the online vibe better i don't know and i think that online also will probably work better with smaller parties because there's less competition to be the one um kind of in the spotlight or um or you know talking to the GM directly. Less Minecraft noises coming in. (laughs) Welcome to Vox Arcana. I'm William. I'm Jake. I'm David. And this is a podcast about tabletop RPGs, game design, and advice for all game masters. This is episode 62, Large Parties versus Small Parties. Ooh, let's get into it. Let's have a party. I don't know. Do I... Do I have a team? Am I team large party or team small party? Let's well, find okay. out. Yeah, what's the what would you say the uh the line is? Is there a line? Well, is there like a spectrum from 
Well, so, okay, I'm going to give you my sweet spot, and then large and small will be defined relative to that. And my sweet spot is five people, maybe four, but no more than five. Yeah, I think mine's 4.5 as well, Mm -hmm. with half of a person, you know, in the corner. Yeah. (laughs) And I think that because most tables will fit five or six people, including me, comfortably. That's true. And Wait, so um, are you saying four or five players or four or five total? Four or five players. Okay. Interesting. Yeah, I would say that too. David? Ooh, this is a good question. I don't know. I want to say like some some games that I've played where we've had like a very small number of people, like three, have been really fun. But then also, depending upon the large party, I think like a party of eight could be fun. Whoa! Whoa. <sighs> <laughs> Under the right circumstances. For sure, for sure. Yeah. But well, eight could be, you know, a little bit of a blast. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Well, let's let's get started with large parties then. Well, so I want to make sure we clarify that there's a couple of ways to manage large groups of people at a table. I thought of three. Maybe there's more. But um, the first uh-huh. one I thought of is recently we did an episode on the open table, which is having a large pool of players, maybe like 20 or maybe as high as 40 um, yeah. <laughs> in some cases. Whoa. But but you're only pulling out <laughs> four, five a week. But depending on who's available. So even though it technically is like a larger party uh, or a larger pool, it's still a normal sized table. So yeah. you're kind of running like an airline, right? But if everyone shows up, what happens? Well, so that you, right? if you, the communication happens during the week to figure out who can make it. And they're called okay. sort of it's like, like an airline where um, priority boarding happens first. So if there's um, players who the maybe cool kids. have been waiting longer or they oh, are okay. more regulars. <laughs> Um, and then the people who are floating, um, I, I haven't really had to manage that yet because my open table just coalesced into a very normal and very enthusiastic oh, nice. standard table. Yeah. Another option is, uh, if, if the table gets gets big enough, um, we'll talk about this more later, is splitting into two separate groups. Mm-hmm. Um, and a fun thing, a lot of people think, oh, what the heck? Like, I, you know, I don't get to see Derek anymore because he's in the other group that now meets at someone else's house. Cool um, but I've seen a lot of open table or uh, large tables split and still go to the same house. Um, and a lot of places, you know, if you got a, an apartment in, in, you know, the Bronx, you might not have enough room for this. But um I, I've done this before, and it's been really, really interesting. We played Super Random, which you can get for five bucks on our Patreon. <laughs> um, we played Super Random with a group that was just getting unwieldy. You know, I'm talking, you know, nine, ten people. Ooh. And I'm like, I can't do this. So one of my friends uh, who has Dungeon Master, like he's been a Dungeon Master before, offered to be like my co-DM. And I'm like, oh, yeah, that. wait, let's just split into two. Um, and so we continued the campaign, and I got like the heroes, you know, so like the the Superman uh, Green Lantern types, the more powerful ones. And then he went upstairs and played a game with basically the suicide squad of the universe. So they were all more criminals, more, you know, gray morality. Um, And at the end, so we played for, you know, probably two hours, maybe three hours. um, And then I was texting him throughout. It was kind of complicated, a lot of uh, spinning plates to keep up. Um, But eventually we coordinated to where the, the, the two parties converged um, and had this big climactic battle where, like, the Suicide Squad was, you know, fighting alongside the Justice League. And it was so cool. Um, and we only did that once, um, but everyone really had a good time. And we had, like, people who were spectators um, who were, like, just watching this craziness unfold. Like, it was, 
insane to have so many people caring about the same thing, like like watching D and D in the same room. Oh my gosh, that was an amazing game. It's super random. What was the total number of players once both parties got together? Um, so total number I think was eleven. I think I had oh six goodness. players and he had five. That's amazing. Um, and so, yeah, so we play, and then he coordinated. He's like, "Hey, they're they're almost in the city," or "Oh, they're almost unlocking the, you know, all this stuff." And I'd be, like, "Okay, crap, I got to move a little faster. I got to slow down to give them some time to get to that checkpoint." And yeah, it took a lot of like I wouldn't recommend that to a new dungeon master, but um, yeah, it it ended up being really really fun. Ambitious. Interesting. Yeah, yes. ambitious. <laughs> okay, so my next type of large party is. What people would think of when we say we have a large party um, is an actual crowd of people at the table. Like you're saying, yeah. eight to 12 or more people just kind of um, hooting and hollering and having a good old time. Jeering. Um, yeah. What do you think of this, Jake? Because you said just this now is, you split it for that reason. Yeah, I split it, um, but uh, it, it gets to the point where it's unwieldy. It just depends on the type of players, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I've you know, we. I've seen episodes of Critical Role where they've had maybe one or two guests and everyone's there. So, I mean, they, Matt Mercer is Dungeon Mastering for like nine people. Um, but they're so invested to it. They're literally live on camera that they're not going to be checking their phone. They're not going to be having side conversations. They're not going to be um, messing around. They're they're all invested. Um, and because of that, it's able to work. So it just depends on the crowd, right? If you have a – especially – if you're playing with younger people mm-hmm. and a big group of them, it's going to get so rowdy that you might as well play a party game, a board game, um, freeze tag, whatever, something that is, freeze is not tag. so <laughs> – that you don't have to focus so hard on. Um, and I think the, the trick is really not talented players but patient players, players who are willing to let other characters' backstories play out and maybe not talk for 20 minutes. Wow, um, and that's that's very hard to find people like that. But I think if you have very mature, very patient players, it gets easier to to deal with some of the problems that come with having a large party. Interesting. Yeah, I've had. I think the the biggest group of people I've had was something like seven, and uh-huh. there is an issue of it's just the shortage of the GM's attention because yeah. when you have five or four, typically you can answer a question like every few seconds you're getting a new question or a new like input and a, and a new a focus. Yeah. But when there's people who just, they simply can't get your attention for yeah. various reasons, then they might um, feel bored or disconnected or just like kind of distract themselves with a the side conversation. And then when the time comes that they could have gotten your attention, they miss yep. it. And so it's yep. very messy. unless like you're saying you have um, very focused and very patient players. Yeah. yeah. The GM only has so much RAM to like, <laughs> yeah. like to put it in like technical terms. And yeah, I, and I if can't. You're think like of... opening a hundred times in Chrome, like the GM is gonna crash. <laughs> Dang, just uh, just whipping out that that Chrome <laughs> metaphor. The last one I thought of is kind of like you were saying. Um, just if you have so many players, then you have to split it up. And they've they've done this in uh, in two situations I can think of. And the first is a uh, gaming con tournament style D and D. Usually it's like a raid mm-hmm. on a dragon and I've seen it done competitively and cooperatively where it's like everybody's racing to see how fast they can do it or whatever. Um, and sometimes it's like we're all in a different part of the dungeon solving this different thing and the GMs are coordinating with sort of a master GM who is um, <laughs> coordinating the overall experience. And that's – I don't have any personal experience with this. It sounds crazy to me. Yeah, I would 
I don't know. I think it could be fun. Um, I read an article written by a guy who played in, they were at like some gaming convention and they did, I think there was like 12 different tables and they were all doing Gary Gygax's, um, what's his super hard dungeon called? Oh, Tomb of Horrors. Yes, yes. Yeah, Tomb of Horrors. Um, And so they were all playing Tomb of Horrors together. Um, And, you know, once a table was all, you know, there's a a total party kill. They they wiped, they would stand up and go sit, like stand around another table (laughs) and watch them try to, you know, get past the thing that they failed. And just that experience. Yeah. It's almost like a, I think we've mentioned it before, like mega games Mm -hmm. where it's like everyone's kind of doing their own mini games, but you're all part of the same world. Um, And it's that atmosphere of, yeah, it's weird that D and D can almost be like a sport to watch occasionally. But um, I think Critical Role can, is proof of that. Oh, definitely. Yeah, yeah. It, it's it can be quite entertaining even to watch. And that was something that I you know I mentioned earlier, like all those people watching the two groups come together. You know, a bunch of people who have never even heard of D and D watching it. They're like, oh, this is cool. Like, like I was like, whoa! It's just it's really cool to see that enthusiasm with you know even if it's multiple tables. I think the thing is like with. I don't think you could run 5th edition with, like, more than, like, six people. Just because it becomes too... The system, like, bogs down the game too much at that point. Where there are too many actions to be had. So, like, that's that's going to be, like, your big problem with, like, large parties. There, yeah. Yeah, there would be we'll some, some slowdowns later. Yeah. yeah. So, actually, we'll I'm, I'm glad that, uh, that David brought that up. Because um, I want to talk about the pros and cons of a large party. The first one that I thought of is that you don't have to say, sorry, your table's full or my table's full as much because if you're comfortable running for nine players, let's say, um, I don't know anybody other than Matt Mercer who's going to have that many people consistently. So probably yeah. You'd, be, yeah, you'd be cycling in, you know, those edge people uh, every week or so. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, another pro is that, um, you know, a lot of people have very busy lives. Um, I'm very lucky to have such a committed group that's like, hey, Wednesdays are sacred. We are always playing. If people miss, it's usually because they are sick or they have a wedding to go to, uh, <laughs> which is weird because who schedules a wedding for Wednesday night? Um, but <laughs> uh, but but with really busy schedules, um, if you have a big group of people that you talked about earlier, like a big pool of people, it allows you to play um, no matter what. Because it's, it's really sad when you have to be like, sorry, we don't have enough people. We can't play this. Um, and so having a big pool of people, having a large party allows you to, to play every week, even if some people are sick or some people have to go visit their family or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, so this next one might be a pro for some people. For me, it's a con, but we put it here anyway. And that is that <laughs> um, your encounter design has to accommodate more actions more players and so you need to really think about how you run and design combats yeah it's going to be a lot more difficult or a lot more slow if you run with a lot of enemies in order to up the difficulty of the encounter Mm -hmm. yeah it's yeah the the, uh what's it called the turn economy or whatever the yeah action action economy. economy action economy just gets insane um with yeah especially if you're adding multiple monster monsters like this is why mass combat is uh is more difficult to do um and it's also the same thing in mass you know if you have a lot of people um it, it just makes it crazier but there there are ways around this so i mean some tips that that i have are like add boss features like maybe up their damage um maybe give the boss legendary actions 
um, like, like, or more of them, if they already have them, um, yeah, don't have them fighting, like, 16 creatures, like, have them either, like, big bosses or, like, mobs of, you know, smaller enemies that, you know, okay, roll to hit, oh, you got a 19, okay, uh, you kill them, how do you want to do this, like, that's so much better than, okay, this, this goblin has two hit points left, and this goblin has four hit points left, like, you gotta speed things up, because the, the time crunch is more essential when you're having to go through eight different people around the table instead of like four. Yeah. True. It would take longer. And I think that for me personally, um, I would probably, in addition to making encounters harder, like just having more things, I would make them hit harder and have less health. So you have um, the same, hopefully the same level of lethality, but not a combat that is twice as long to resolve. Yeah. Yeah. But um, especially if you have lower level players and or low low lower level players lower level um characters you can kind of reach deeper into your tool belt and pull out some crazy things you know if you've got a lot of players you can maybe pull out that tarasque you know you can pull out some of the crazier monsters that you would never dream of pulling out in a regular game just because they have so much so many turns so many actions that it makes the fight much more balanced than you'd think or even make your own Big, beefy boy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I think the main advice is just don't scale things up linearly because um, that, you know, with challenge rating, it just gets complicated and it scales up almost exponentially. Mm-hmm. So you got to be creative and speed things up. Another thing is um, if someone's taking their time, if they're on their phone while everyone else is going and then they, they you know, okay, it's your turn. And he's like, um, okay, what happened? Where am I? You, that sort of behavior is going to slow everything down even more because you're having to recap when they get back. Um, so you really want to encourage fast player turns too. So like, okay, what do you do? You got 10 seconds, you know, to speed things up even more. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think even like bringing out one of those like little uh, uh, sand timers for each player. Just be like, yeah, this is your turn. Like your player stands still for six seconds if he doesn't do anything. Yeah, because it's just like people need to make sure that like, when you have, like, eight people, like, you have a responsibility to, like, yep. split that time evenly. So, putting people on a clock will, like, make them act not only uh, more quickly, but more inefficiently, which will make the game more interesting. Yeah. Um, another option that we've, you know, oftentimes dreamed about is having, like, a co-dungeon master. But you don't even have to have, like, a, a co-dungeon master. You can have something even more simple to take the uh, the burden off of your shoulders and kind of separate it between, um, spread it out between the entire table. Um, it's something called a quartermaster. Um, like, having someone that will take notes, uh, record initiative, look up rules, track HP, give recaps of previous sessions, or helping new players at the table. All of those uh, things can be done by other people and you don't have to have responsibility for that as the dungeon master. Um, I've heard it referred to as the quartermaster. Uh, Will, you said Gary Gygax called it something else. Um, yeah, I think that um, Gygax had a different solution for his crowds of people. Um, he had something called a caller um, that as far as I can tell is just like um, instead of everybody yelling at the DM for his attention, they, they tell this person what they would like to do. And that person tells the DM. So he's not tracking as much as just, um, he's essentially a Senator or an ambassador. Oh yeah. Streamlining, (laughs) but I'm not, I'm not sure how 
how effective that really would be because it's just putting a middleman in between the players and the GM. Um, but yeah. yeah, so along your, the lines of taking notes and, and all the things you listed, I, instead of just choosing one player to do that, I delegate responsibility so that each player has one of those things to do. And yeah. um, this is especially good for um, rules lawyers. Like if they're, if they want to challenge calls, like they're now in charge of finding the exact ruling. So they're going to have that rule book in front of them. Um, yep. I have players track um, HP. It's really easy. You have them count up instead of down. So they never know exactly how close something is to death. And um, uh, yeah. Yeah. And so it's just like, oh, and then even um, what else? I mean, a cartographer. Yeah, if you have a need for that, it's um, it's super easy because it gives players uh, responsibility in the game other than just like making the optimal action or like saying yeah. the funniest pun. <laughs> Looks like we're screwed. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's talk about some cons of large parties. And I think we've touched on some of them. Um, Jake, what, what do you got? Yeah, so some cons. I mean, the obvious one is just less you know, in movie terms, screen time, like you're not going to be on the screen as much. You're not going to be in the limelight as much because more people are sharing the limelight. Um, So this can lead to a lot of people maybe not paying attention, maybe on their phones. Um, And there's something I've, it it doesn't progress. Chaos doesn't progress linearly. Like it always is like exponential. And Mm -hmm. so the more people that are on their phones, the more people that are having side conversations, derails everything even more in an exponential way and that's the fear right is that it gets to a point where everything just spirals out of control and (sighs) no one knows what's going on so really avoiding that is the key um and and like i said earlier having players that are that are patient that can allow their character not to be in the limelight all the time because yeah if you've got that many people at a table you just got to realize you're not going to be the star of the show the whole time. Yeah, and I would also point out, this takes me back to my World of Warcraft days, back oh, way yeah. back when, uh, and they had 40-man raids, and I can't think of getting 40 people to do anything um, yeah, on one night I of the week that. together anymore, but it was different times. Um, and so there was a tendency in that game where you could just, even if you were bad or just not really paying attention, you could come along for the ride, um, and in D&D terms, you would just be rolling your dice when the GM tells you to and, you know, making your quippy one-liner and otherwise paying the minimum amount of attention required to play. You can hide in a crowd. Yeah, that's true. Mooching gear. (laughs) (laughs) I think think some people, though, uh, enjoy, like, not necessarily being in the spotlight, but just being able to participate, so. Yeah. If you, it only, it, it only starts to break down when you have a lot of people who are, like, yeah, and then uh, who want to take initiative and want to like take like the big uh, actions. Mm-hmm. That's when that's yeah. when it starts to fall apart. No, there are people who are attentive and they just are more shy, and those people are easier to handle for sure in, in larger parties. Yeah, I think the the difference is that a good, well balanced five or six person party or four or five person party. Um, has room for that more casual player who just wants to kind of have fun with his friends or her friends and um, roll the dice and move the mice. Um, but <laughs> that person might not have a chance to have any spotlight, like whether they yeah. want it or not. Yeah. Uh, we, we already mentioned this, that combat can just be slow. Um, is there anything else you want to say about that? With combat specifically, you have to 
like keep it at lower levels because that way there's less combat decisions to be made or things mm. to keep track of. Yep. So, yep. like hypothetically, the best game that you could run a large party game would be something like uh, Dungeon Crawl Classic. Oh with, yeah, where everyone's at zero yeah. level. So everyone yeah. is like, because that way you're all kind of like working together to solve a problem, kind of like an escape room mm-hmm. and less of, yeah, I, I'm this like epic heroic fantasy character and we're all like trying to fit everyone in and end game, you know? Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I'm going to add this in later What I was moving around. I think I can mention it in small parties. Um, some more advice for me, um, as someone who loves his his alcohol, um, I would not recommend drinking as much when you have to uh, manage a larger party because you know your brain is is dulled a bit, it, everything slows down a bit, and that will not help. Um, so you know, w- when you're in an intimate small party, um, it's not as hard because you're mostly focused on role playing and not you know managing a bunch of different people's actions. Um, but yeah. Maybe uh, maybe be gentler on the pores. I yep, I agree with that. Um, if you drink at D and D, which I, I actually um, I don't, I'm kind of moving away from it because I like being sharp and having that um, that resource uh, of my brain. But I would mm-hmm. I would point out that with large parties, the GM becomes more like a facilitator in a classroom because. It's now your job to make sure everybody yeah. has a chance to even talk at all. And so you <laughs> yeah. you're, have to be very vigilant about like, okay, like this person hasn't got to talk for a long time. What would you do? What would you, you know? And um, like you're saying, with alcohol, you might just be oblivious. You might just miss that cue and, yep, that and let it slip. Thing. And that could ruin somebody's experience, especially if they're a first timer. They're, they're like, I just sat at a table for three hours and I never talked. That yeah. sucks. And the dungeon master is slurring his words. <laughs> <laughs> his name was Jake, I think. Well, that's a lot of information about the large parties, but let's scale it down and talk small. Let's get some small talk going on. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So let's define a small party. What is small for oh, you Oh, man. Guys? Okay, small. Would, okay, would you say that three people and a dungeon master is a small party? Yeah. No. I would. I don't think I would. No. I think it has to be, three, uh, three to five players is normal like medium that's average that's average it's yeah. hmm. average i don't know i th- i would say i mean it's getting on the small side but i would say two players is like a small maybe three two I don't is know. small two is small one is uh intimate role play that's yeah, a different kind of role play yeah one is a totally different type of game yeah but not a bad not a bad type of game but it's it's different um all right so so what do we call a small party? A meeting. <laughs> there it is. It's a little joke to get you through these hard times. Uh, so I'll, uh, getting real now, um, I think that unlike large parties, which seem to happen because you have uh, more players than you have seats at your table, um, why does a small party happen? I mean, a lot of reasons, but one that... It's probably not as big now, but definitely was a problem in the 80s and 90s and aughts is that D&D, for a lot of its history, has not been cool. 
<laughs> it has yeah. not been cool. And so it was hard to drum up interest in something that is perceived as putting on a wizard hat and, you know, yelling demonic spells at each other um, by a lot of the general populace. So um, that's been a problem for a lot of the history of the game. But uh, nowadays, if if your party is small, it's... It, yeah, it's mostly because of maybe you live in a small town, maybe there's just a lack of interest, maybe you haven't been able to convey to your friends what D&D is well enough to get them interested. Maybe you just yeah. don't have any friends. <laughs> maybe you work in a, a freaking coal mine in Alaska and nobody else wants to play and you just listen to podcasts alone all day. I'm talking to you. <laughs> you know who you are. <laughs> We've got a big Alaskan coal miner audience. <laughs> yeah. It's about 50% of our average def- demographic. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so like Jake's saying, uh, stigma, stereotypes, uh, lack of interest or availability. Small town, um, yeah. And let me add this to the discussion. Um, I think that running a smaller group is a way for GMs to experiment a little bit with either the format of their game, their system, or to tell a more tight and focused story. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it can't, yeah, especially if you want a more intimate thing or there are instances I've done this before where maybe we have a big main group um, that's kind of rowdy and fun and everyone likes to joke around and make puns. And then there's two or three of the players that are like, man, I really want to tell a deep, intimate like story story like i don't want to just yell dumb puns as i'm killing a demon Mm -hmm. like i want to really get into the weeds and like have a tragic backstory and really like work through some very interesting dramatic problems um Mm -hmm. and i've done that before for players um i think uh, another line of thinking too is small parties don't have to be just because of lack of interest or something you can change a large party into a small party by saying like, hey, let's do our own session with just you characters because you're going on a mission alone. Or, you know, I- I'm sure you have been doing this a lot, Will, with players who, since your game's always on, in a sense, like certain players can do things together via text with you. And that's almost its own small party, of the larger party. Um, maybe. What I have is one-on-one meetings, I guess you'd call it. It's like a conversation. Uh-huh. But it's not role-play. It's more like we're resolving um, them dealing with their property. So it really, yeah, it feels more mechanical. It's like, here, let's let's roll these dice and, and resolve the next week of your activity of like building oh. potions. Um, and it, that's just so that I can either see the dice rolled or roll them myself to just make sure everything's um, above board. So yeah. I mean, I, I've uh messaged players like as Jarlaxle in character <laughs> and we've done uh some role playing that like wouldn't be helpful to do if you know if it was you know it would be taking a party time there's some individual stuff mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. you know all about that because you're doing one-on-one stuff collaboration with individual players a bunch but um yeah there can be certain moments where making it intimate i know in critical role that will say okay everyone leave the room before like a break and he'll have like a dream sequence with one or two players um Hmm. that can be really interesting because all of the other players don't know what the dream was about they don't know what went on um and it can be really cool to kind of zero in on the backstory of someone and, and make it really intimate and deep uh in a way that you couldn't do if people are you know joking with each other or making puns about cutting off a villain's head I, I think there is something that happens when 
you have a lot of your friends together, like in a large party, where inherently there's a lack of seriousness because you're with your friends and it's a fun party. Like yeah. The, yeah. It's just a, the normal definition of a party of a group of people. Yeah. And when you take that away, it gets very serious or it can be serious and um, intimate and slower. And it, I really do recommend doing it at least a few times in your GM career. Definitely. Definitely. I Just experiment and say, hey, players, tonight, I know, I'm sorry, you know, uh, but I really want this to be a super story-focused Let's try to keep the joking to a minimum and just try it out. Just see what a hyper dramatic, really interesting, you know, character study of, of the party is, as opposed to the jokes and the messing around and the, you know, oh, I want to steal his, his I want to tie his shoes together while he's sleeping. <laughs> <You know? laughs> yeah. Well, we've had some like pretty good, like three person games total. The three of us? Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. yeah, definitely. And I, can, I you know, I don't want to toot our own horns, but to to uh I think we're <laughs> good enough players that we can we can do that no problem. Um And and that's with two players and one GM. So yeah. it's even smaller than like what we're talking about here. Definitely. Yeah. Now, we we did one where <laughs> David was a dungeon master and me and Will were a married couple that was searching for <laughs> relics. <laughs> it was so funny because we were just bickering the whole time. <laughs> oh man. Here's something I, I want to post to you guys. Um, with small parties, oftentimes there's the allure of, especially for the more dramatic role-playing types, to play two characters. Um, I know we we played games where each of us controlled two characters or more. Um, what do you guys think of that? Oh, I love that. For role-playing? Uh, for role-playing or just like how does it work? Do you think it's you know positive or detrimental? I, I personally don't like giving players that much more because of the pressure to perform with like two different personalities. Definitely. Um, it would depend on the group of players, obviously, because like if it's you or David, like that's fine. But I have players who barely play one character. Um, <laughs> it's just not their personality. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think it worked great when we did uh dungeon crawl classics for like my bachelor party. Oh thing. yeah. And like, yeah. Cause people like, <laughs> people like Dylan and Chris could do so many characters simultaneously. <laughs> They're like, let me make three distinct personalities and role play all of them. And I was like, I've never seen people so excited to just improvise. No, they're very role play heavy. <laughs> it was so funny. It sounds like we are more positive about small parties than we are about big parties. But I want to make sure we, we list some cons here for small. Yeah. I mean, one obvious one is that role-playing, you know, having heart-to-hearts when there's only, like, three people in the room <laughs> is 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 a very intimate thing that some players might not be comfortable with. Yeah. Um, you know, we talk about, like, the, the three natures of D&D, like, role, play, and game. Um, some of the more number-hungry gamers and some of the more playful types that just want to, you know, have a beer and hang out with his friends might not be down to have, like, you know, deep... Uh, dramatic interludes with each other it just it just might not be their cup of tea um so you really want to obviously we say this all the time know your party know what they want um and yeah if if it takes a certain <laughs> type of dramatic player to want this i think like with small parties it's really dependent upon the players and that can be yeah. like a big con is if you don't have enough like people and they're not like all going to be invested in the game, then your your game is going to take a big hit yeah. because of it. 
So you really yeah. need people who want to be engaged. And if you're actively making a choice to keep it at like three people, you need to make sure that all of those people that you're bringing in are very invested. Otherwise, you probably want to bring in more people. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that's interesting because with my normal preferred amount of players, I like having that wiggle room where you don't require high investment necessarily from everyone all the time. Yeah. But certainly if you're running a smaller thing, it is more of an issue because you can't hide. Like the individual value of the you contribution of one yeah. player is much higher. Yeah, definitely. Yes. Yeah. Um, an- uh, a- another sorry. thing is um, oftentimes player actions will cause other player reactions. And it's like this beautiful interplay between you know characters personalities and stuff when there's not that many players um there's sometimes like these kind of creative walls that you hit where it's like okay uh, well good night you know like conversation's <laughs> over um and so you you really want to have a lot of npcs in this case that can kind of jumpstart conversations keep the conversation going ask questions um and make it seem like there's a lot more interaction than there might be at the table while I say that, also try, try, try to avoid the temptation of having a lot of DMPCs, because um, then it turns into a game of basically, uh, you know, you, <laughs> you know, having your DMPC doing most of the heavy lifting in conversations or combat. Yeah, or you have the yeah the the, the terrible uh, interaction between you with a silly voice and also you with a silly voice. <laughs> I think I just got whiplash from that advice because you just said make sure you have NPCs but also don't have too many NPCs. Yeah, so so let me reframe that. So you want to have a lot of NPCs um, but I would say you don't want to have DMPCs and I think there is a difference where you're like really invested in a Dungeon Master player character um, and you're doing most of the heavy lifting, right? Um, you want to have stuff for the players to... Uh, interact with a lot of people for them to interact with but at the same time you don't want to have like okay two people are playing D and you're the dungeon master and there's five characters in the party and the dungeon master is playing three of them that's something that now, i've seen happen that it's just like the dungeon master is basically playing a game with themselves more than the players are this reminds me uh you mentioned players getting stuck in a way on uh, certain problems because Normal D&D is, is actually very dynamic in terms of the kinds of ideas a group of people can come up with. Like, yes, I don't yeah. I don't know if I've ever seen a situation where five players have had no idea what to do and, yeah. and no ability to work through a situation, even if it's just like, oh, I tie his shoelaces together <laughs> um, with smaller parties like um there's a podcast I love. It's called Designer Notes. It's all about video game interviews with uh, designers. And one of the uh, guys on here, I forget his name, he was talking about him running D&D with his five-year-old son. And he's teaching him all these like situations. Like, how do you cross this river? And he, there, he's got a GMPC, I guess you'd call it, in the game. Who's just His name is Michael, which I think is so funny. And so um, the, the son is always like, well, I ask Michael what he wants to do. And so the, the dad can always kind of give input inside the uh, game. Yeah. But Michael is an imperfect person, right? Like he, he doesn't always have the best ideas, but he is a foil who can kind of help um mm. problem solve ah uh, yeah that's funny that's good oh, another con um is that your game actually might be 
it, we said it'll probably be slower paced, but it might verge on boring at times because of these factors we're talking about, because it is uh, more intimate and maybe crossing a comfort zone, um, not in a really bad way, but just as like, hey, like I'm role playing heavily for hours and I don't know where else to go, like in my character's backstory right now. Um, yeah. And so it, it might grind sometimes. Yeah. With that still, I, I would I would recommend everyone to try it. You know, even if you have a, a flourishing D and D game um, that's fun, I would recommend trying this more intimate, smaller scale stuff because you may find uh, that you really enjoy it, or you could find out that you're like, all right, not our cup of tea. Let's go back to you know making making puns and slaying monsters. Um, but yeah, everyone should try it because there's a there's a lot to offer with the the more patient, slow-paced, dramatic storytelling nature of, of a small party. That, and yeah, actually that reminds me for my very last point is that with fewer players means that action economy equation is now really imbalanced in favor of the monsters yes, winning. Yes, it's scarier. And so um, probably your game is, uh, it, maybe your game should be less focused on that combat adventure thing and um, more about the exploration and the social aspect of the game because or, or unless you're going to dial down those goblins to have one hit point and do half damage because they can easily kill um a pc yeah. even a fairly high level pc like mm -hmm. a level five or so yeah welcome to random table talk Wee. we haven't done this one in a while we this haven't. is our segment where we uh we find some random tables and we create a piece of game content for your table all right. right. So this week uh, we are using the, some of the random tables um, for backstory stuff from the Explorer's Guide to Wildmount, which just came out. Um, basically, a bunch of stuff from Matt Mercer's game world. Um, I know I'm I'm a huge fan. This, I probably I probably mention him a little too often, um, but it is a beefy book. Um, I will not, we won't have a review of this or anything, but my short review is I think it is well worth it because um, it's not just a, hey, look at my world and all the cool stuff in it. There are a lot of cool tables. There are a lot of cool monsters. There's a lot of cool um, magic items, um, villains, um, little adventure modules you can plug in anywhere. So, I mean, content-wise, there's a lot there. And I give it a thumbs up. So uh, what are we building today, Jake, with these random tables? So these, um, some of the tables I found, there's tables for favorite foods, favorite drinks, um, prophecies. Oh, man. But I think we will do basically a backstory generator. So there are um, three tables. There are family relationships, ally relationships, and rival relationships. So... We can make a character or two and see who their family, their allies, and their rivals are. Um, do we have to determine anything about the character before rolling, such as our race and class? Uh, David, pick a race and class. Pick a race <laughs> and class? Actually, David, pick a race. Um, I'll pick the class. Okay. Okay. Um, I pick the race. Mm-hmm. Um, any 5e race? Or just yeah, okay. Like... Don't make it crazy weird. Oh, man. Chiefling. Alright. Oh. Um, I'm gonna go odd with this and make that tiefling into a druid. Okay. Tiefling druid. I'm imagining a green tiefling. Um uh, I'm seeing that this, this tiefling is um 
remorseful about the uh, the heritage that they have Ooh, and wants to kind of give back curse. to the world. Oh God, yep. we're already going. We haven't even rolled. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, okay, so we need a D100. Do I need to get it? What? Oh, I got it. I got a virtual dice roller, so Jake just add a sound effect later. Oh, cruel, cruel technocrat. <laughs> D100 is 34. 34. So this is a family relationship. 34. You uncovered a secret about a family member, whether a tiny embarrassment or a life-changing scandal. They now seek to unveil your darkest secrets. You gained. Oh, it says you gain an additional rival. Whoa! Oh, where, where did I get my first rival? Well, it, we're, we're going to roll for <laughs> one rival. I guess now you got two. Wow, that's kind of the worst-case scenario. So your family <laughs> member it's just not a fan of you. Maybe... Maybe it's like your parents and like you know the demon they slept with or something. Hmm. Ooh. Or you know the demon they serve. Oh yeah. Maybe you're like the the son or daughter of a warlock. Oh yeah. Maybe there's uh less hanky panky and more of just straight up evil curses. Ah huh, yeah. True. Oh, that would be a good curse. I like that. Okay. All right. What's what's uh, our next one? Next one is ally. So hopefully you get a, a better ally than you do as our random family member. <laughs> All right, what'd you get? A perfect 100. A perfect 100. This person owes you their life. Even if they can't follow you everywhere you go, they will do anything to protect you. Wow, so you got the opposite. You got a great, great ally. <laughs> so, what is, wow. so what is that? What are we thinking? So as a, um, it seems that this character, being this bizarre druid, carries a lot of guilt about... Um, whatever this evil thing is they've done. Yeah. And this ally is like a life debt type of person. Is there like a Chewbacca type of character we can Ooh, throw together? I'm imagining almost yeah. like a, a kind, a friendly goblin. Yeah, Chewbacca is a really good uh, example. It's like a constant companion. Um, almost a, what are those things you summon? Not the sprite, the... Uh... What if it was like, um, like he saved someone who was a druid and that's why he became one? Ooh, so they're more of like a mentor that like yeah oh they they've given you training because that is a weird relationship though a mentor that owes you their life oh true yeah that would, that would be weird <laughs> could work. I, i'm thinking more of like almost like a familiar like maybe a like more a intelligent familiar maybe like a talking familiar i've had a few characters like that like you know the players adopt a goblin like or a something. sprite and it's really fun to have a character that's like this sounds really weird, but in between, like a sentient person and a pet, <laughs> and and like Chewbacca, debatably you can put Chewbacca in that, but that sounds like imperial propaganda. <laughs> 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 but yeah, something of a uh, yeah. What was an example? Maybe like an animal, just like a really smart uh, wolf or something. I mean, I guess the dogs are actually kind of in that category too. Yeah, you could have yes, yeah, some, some like a. We first started adventuring, saved like a pet of some sort. But why don't we make it a werewolf? That way, he oh, that's is... good. Or like maybe they're permanently a werewolf, so they kind of have that. And maybe they're a kid. I don't know. I don't know. Oh, um, true. That'd be weird. Like an eight-year-old permanent werewolf. <laughs> Just a small dog boy. <laughs> a dog boy. <laughs> that kind of is, you know, baby Chewbacca in a way. Um, all right. <laughs> okay, so let's get to our rival. You have two of these because one of them is your family member that's that's really mad at you. So. I rolled a three. A three. This person believes that you murdered their sibling. 
regardless Jeez. of your guilt or innocence, they're out for your blood. Um, I think it just it would fit this character better if you really did murder their sibling, whether by accident oh, or maybe no. there was a really good reason for doing that. Um, because as a tiefling, you're a creature of apparent evil, and I think it's actually interesting if you really have some skeletons in your closet. Yeah, that's... Yeah. I'm thinking much differently. Like, I'm thinking um, you had a twin, and when you were born, like, because you were a tiefling, your twin, who's normal, died during childbirth. And so maybe mm. your mother hates you for that, and that's why it's a family member and a rival. Like, has always resented oh, you because, like, you killed the normal one during childbirth, if that makes sense. Yeah. <gasps> Okay, I'm going to build on that. <laughs> there was a oh. ritual performed when the mom was pregnant, Ooh. and it made you like absorb that twin. So, like in like, utero. Yep, and so somehow you are responsible for um, for that. Well, you're not responsible, but you are involved in that yeah, the thing cause that of happened. It, yeah. Ooh, that's good. Mm-hmm. That's good. All right. That's uh, super good. One more roll for Rival. Mm-hmm, I got an 18. 18. You bested this person in combat, but they believe you cheated in order to beat them. They long to prove that they are the superior warrior. This is a fun rival because yes, this, this is, is a fun one. They're they're not necessarily hateful. They're just like really determined to come after you and beat yes. you. I, and it doesn't have to be to the death. It's just like for honor and um satisfaction respect and all that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I I really enjoy this. It's similar to we've talked about it um, on previous episodes, like having a rival adventuring party and to have them not just you want to outright slit your throat, but have them like, you know, beating you to the artifact or like, um, you know, kind of, it isn't like a murderous rivalry. It's just a standard, you know, um, rivalry where they're trying to be a better adventuring party and beat you to the quests. I think that's fun to have those type of, um, relationships. Yeah. It's, um, I have something like that in my current game where there is a rivaling rival, adventuring guild who are just literally so much better than the party in terms of their moral fiber, their equipment and their capability for good. And so like, they are not like evil and out to get you. It's like, they don't care about the party because they're too busy doing the right thing all the time. Oh yeah. Okay. Um, I have two more really fun tables that I found flipping through the book. There's one called fateful moments and there's one called prophecy. Um, I say we do those those two. So this character, Sounds I'm imagining, great. I'm imagining a, a female tiefling. Me too. Uh, like Greenskin Druid has a has like a little little werewolf kid buddy. Um, kid boy. Yeah, and it, yeah, family member. So really guilty about their bloodline. About yeah, their lineage. Okay, okay. Fateful moment. This is a D twenty. D twenty is four. Four, you were caught in a terrible storm, but miraculously survived. Now your dreams contain visions sent by a mysterious god or demigod. You now gain proficiency in arcana or religion, your choice. Oh, that's fabulous. That's, yeah, that's really cool. Maybe that's you started adventuring after that happened. Yeah, uh, that would make sense. That would drive you out of the uh, the woods and out of isolation. So yes. this explains why this loner type is now yes. adventuring. Yes, I love it. And, and you can also lend into maybe maybe a multi class into cleric 
or paladin or maybe even Wizard. weirdly warlock hmm. if true which would be you'd also be like i can be a good warlock even though my mom was a bad one like oh <laughs> yeah that's cool all right prophecy let's see what what our tieflings prophecy is d20 d20 15 15 my actions will lead to the death of a member of the Clovis Concord, which is, you know, in the, his world building stuff, basically like a high council. Um, I will know exactly who killed them, but no one in power will believe me. Oh, this seems oh. very specific. Yeah. yeah I, these are more tied to the world itself. Um, almost all these are, but that's really interesting. That could be something that happens way later. I just love that no one believes you, but you're right plots hmm. of anything <laughs> where do you get this prophecy from i guess is the big question it's up to the dm i think these are just um is it like a vision or happened. is it like a person it happened at birth or it could appear in a dream like yeah, i think was... i think that'd be something that'd be fun to like introduce in like one of the first few sessions so you're just like waiting for that to like pay off yeah maybe you don't even know maybe you're on the opposite side of the continent like you don't even know who the clovis concord is yeah, I love little things like that, too, stuff in your backstory that, that it comes out way later. You're like, wait, what? What tribe? I was a part of that tribe back when I was level one. This is great stuff. Dude, I, yeah, there's just so I much. I need to get a hold of that book. Yeah, a lot of tables that are just, I mean, yeah, it, I was worried it was going to be very specific to Wild Mountain. It's like, hey, because his first book was very like, this is what it's like to play in my campaign world. Here are the politics. And this one is very much like, Take what you need, you know, burn everything else to the ground. Like, I don't care. I don't want you to play in my world. I want you to use this stuff in your own worlds. And it just made it so, so good. You did it again, Mr. Massa. Thank you for listening to Vox Arcana, episode 62. I'm William. I'm Jake. And I'm David. We'll see you next time.